listening to a podcast from Light FM. The Light Breakfast with Asha and Terry. Good morning. We continue our taboo talk this week as we discuss topics that are often swept under the rug. And today we speak with Andy Chua, a former drug addict who turned his life around and is now a recovery support coach. Thanks for joining us, Andy. Let's first start by taking us back to your, your childhood. How would you describe the sort of environment and family that you grew up in? I grew up in a very middle class family. So the relationship between me and my family is close. I have a very, very happy childhood. Right. Aside from being bullied, lah, I feel that uh, my childhood is quite, uh, I'm an active kid. Right. So I'm. Uh, I join scouts. I'm very active in scouts. Right. So both my parents are teachers. Right. So, Can I ask you about? Yeah. You mentioned bullying. Yeah. Uh, what kind of bullying did you go through? What was it? Yeah. Sure. Uh, so physical and emotional abuse, I would say. Mm. So uh, people used to make fun of me being the teacher's kid. Right. And, and stuff like that. And then sometimes I get kicked in a public area and stuff. Right. Uh, yeah. Did that contribute to shaping the way you thought about yourself? I think yes, yes, a little. What was your first encounter with drugs like? Because I was being bullied, mm. so being young, right? So I had to get protection. Right. So I start mixing people with el- uh, more older than me, mm. and it's not join a gang like It's just a school gang, right? Where they would ask me to do stuff uh, for them, mm-hmm. and I I would like give money. And stuff like that okay. for for lunch, you know, for canteen time. So and it was like almost like for protection. You would yes, give them your yes. money, and they would in turn like take care of you. They yes, would... because I mix with seniors. I think my when when they was like going to seventeen, and I was like, if I'm not mistaken, thirteen, fourteen. Because right. form one is thirteen. Right. Uh, about form one, form two. This is where I expose myself with alcohol first, alcohol, and then cannabis. Yeah, because I always mix with senior, right? Mm. And then this shaped my personality. Right. So I start to mix with other people. Other people, I get more and more connection. Right. And I think this lead me to join a gang. At I think twenty twenty one, I was in a gang. Right. Yeah. And this exposed to many many other things. Yeah. Wow. And that led to more substance abuse as well. Yes, because that I've mixed with uh, people older than me. Right. I think it also makes me have this thinking that I studies is not important. Mm. So after SPM, I had always had this thought that uh, I'm going to go out work because I want to save time, you know. Mm. I'm young. This is where I make it. Mm. But before this, I remember that I actually like to go college and stuff. Right. The, the shift happened after SPM. Right. After SPM, and I, I thought that money was more important than education. And this is where I ran away from home and I start working in nightlife. So that's even worse, you know, compared mm. to being in school because nightlife is where I need more protection from people. Right. Yeah. Because of the nature of the type of work that you were doing. Yes. What kind of work were you doing when you say nightlife? I joined uh, a pub as okay. a cashier. Mm-hmm. They consider me educated. I could speak English, right. and I could do basic maths. Mm. So they made me a cashier and also an accountant. Right. And but my passion was always DJing, because I was the cashier and they provide a place upstairs the the, the pub that I was working, okay. a hostel. Oh, and so you live there as well. I live okay. there as well. Okay. Yeah, with all the other club manager, a few waitresses, and also all the DJs. Mm. 
So when the pub closes, this is where I got the key. So I would open the key and then we after party outside. Right, you'd have access. Yes, I have access. Right. Yeah, the hostel that I was staying, mm. uh, the boss got three to four pubs. So all the DJs stay together. Oh. And this is where I, I, I learn how to spin. Right. And I got myself into a D- DJ line. Wow. Yeah. And I've been working as a professional DJ, I think about 15 years. That's a career, man. Andy, it's not easy for many people who go through addiction to even initially admit that they are addicts. How did you come to terms with your with your drug addiction and then seek help the first time? The first time it was after not long I got caught by uh, cops. So the first time was I was mixing with uh, drug dealers, suppliers and stuff mm. and I got caught. They actually wanted to catch the people that push the drugs. Mm. But so happened I was there. Right. So this put me in, on the record. And that was the first time that my family find out that officially that I'm a drug user. Oh. So what happened was uh, I had to call my sister for help. Mm. And I told my sister, please don't tell my parents. Mm. If to think back, right, it wasn't that I was afraid to tell my parents. I was afraid of their reaction. So the moment I came out from the the Makama uh, lockup, right, mm. uh, the moment I saw my mom and dad, so my sister went had to tell my parents. Right. So they came the next day. It was Sunday. I can remember this because the next day, Monday, is where I go Rayman, mm. uh, go to court for Rayman. And the moment I reached the court, I saw them. Mm. I saw my dad. He was sad. But I when I the moment I saw my mom, she looked at me in the orange jumpsuit mm. with my hand being handcuffed. I know I broke her. And this is where I told myself that whatever happens after this. I'm not going to do this stuff anymore. Right. And I really d- did had that the mindset to stop. But what I couldn't stop was using. This is where I try and try and try to reduce, minimize my problem by mixing or taking lesser. Oh, and, I and, and I got, got back a job into DJing. Okay. So when I work, I use less. But then again, it doesn't solve my problem. Mm. And I still had to hide. I still had to to worry about where do I get money for my next hit. Mm. And basically, I got tired of it. Mm. I got so tired. I got so depressed. Mm. I thought that the drugs could help me with depression, you know. Mm. But it actually was feeding my depression. And I got so sick of it. Right. And one day, it, it just hit me because I was also in a relationship mm. uh, back then. And... My back back then relationship that this girl, I was thinking that, what if one day we get married, have wife and kids? What's going to happen? Am I going to still feel tired and whatnot? Right. So this is I decided to like completely surrender and say, oh, I'm going to stop. Mm. And the first thing that I thought about was to tell her, and she was supportive. Right. What happened was right after I told her, mm. <laughs> I didn't want to go to the rehab already. It's like <laughs> oh. This is over, you know, she's supportive and stuff. So I right. told her that I'm going to stop. Okay. But the thing is, I remember this because right after that, getting high wasn't wasn't good already. I feel guilty. I feel tired. I feel even sick of it, but I cannot stop. Right. So this is where I said that, hey man, I need help. So I went and told my parents that, you know, I'm a drug addict right. and I need help. Right. And this is where I went to my first rehab, ADK Tampin. Tell us what happened from the time you went to the, your first rehab 
And were there potential relapses and what happened after that? My first rehab experience was just, I got a seed of recovery. But recovery was not possible. It's already, like I have already designed mm. my recovery life for a relapse. Okay. Why I say this is because my intentions was right, but the cause of it, right, was wrong. Okay. Uh, when I say wrong, it's because I wanted to stop, but it wasn't for myself. Okay. It was for the relationship. It was because I was in crisis. Mm. And in my mind, right, back then, I had this, like, I thought, like, something in the movies, you know, you, you could watch this in the movies that, oh, I sacrificed myself to go to rehab. Right. This girl is going to get so touched. Right. She's going to wait for me and whatnot. And when I come out from rehab, you know, with my backpack and she'll be waiting there, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. but the thing is, what happens when she leaves or when I, if she never leaves, it lead me back to drugs because... Mm. I didn't change because I wanted a changed life. Mm. I wanted to stop because I was in crisis and maybe it was because I know that being a drug addict, mm. I couldn't maintain a you know, healthy relationship. Right. So, true enough, um, my third month inside the rehab, she found someone else. Oh. But thank God that that happened in rehab because right. I, I lost it in the rehab. Okay. I was depressed, even more depressed than the first depression. I thought that I hit rock bottom, mm. but this is even more rock bottom for me. Mm. And this is where I get a lot of help from the peers. So ADK, it's a TC module recovery. It's therapeutic community, they call it. Therapeutic community, okay. Yep. So everyone you see there, the seniors there is a reflection of myself. So it helps me because I could see that, you know, they are progressing in life. So could I. If I feel that I'm an addict, I'm not alone. There's people who are getting help too. Right. And I, my counselor back then also gave me a lot of support and make me understand this fact that I know you're doing it for her, but you should do it for yourself, right? Not for her. And it took me some time to realize this, you know. <laughs> so was that like a bell that went off, a light bulb, and everything? <laughs> a realization happened when. When you were told that you needed to do it for yourself? Actually, no, not really. No. I still was fighting with this. You know? right. I said, no, 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 I'm doing it for her. You know? why, why this, why that? Yeah. And after sessions of counseling, because I'm being stubborn myself, of course, mm. I'm a professional drug addict. So <laughs> selfishness and stubbornness yeah. is, is 100% there. <laughs> and, um, but it took me quite some time. So I'm grateful that the moment I discharged out, the seat, of recovery was planted in me with right. the with the support of the the community back then and also my counselor, but I don't have that mindset to stop. Okay. It's because I don't have my sobriety back then okay. loses its priority. The moment I get out from rehab, I think right after a week, I had my first relapse, and it lasted three years. I think what made me stop was I overdose on meth and heroin, and I got a minor heart attack. So I managed to get the ambulance. I don't know how. Mm. I don't know how exactly, but I remembered before going in the ambulance, right? Mm. They thought it was a COVID attack. Oh, okay. So oh, yeah. this was during the MCO. pandemic then. Yeah. Right? Okay, got it. Mm. Yeah. So I believe in the higher power greater than myself. Mm -hmm. So I think my higher power plays a, a role here. I'm not talking about God here. I'm just talking about higher power here. Mm. Told this ambulance guy that he's not COVID attack. He's oh. actually drug overdose. He could identify? Because my friend was using with me. Oh, <laughs> yeah. got it, got it. <laughs> this is right, um, right. Okay. <clears throat> drug overdose. They rushed me to the hospital. Right. The moment I was like 
you know, I would say when I woke up, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think, so I faint. If I faint, just briefly faint. Yeah. So this uh, hospital, the doctor, right? She's very, very kind, by the way. And she said to me that you you had a minor heart attack due to substance abuse. Mm. What's your plan? Okay. So 50% it, because really, really, I wanted to stop. Right. In my mind, this 50% in my mind, I wanted to stop. Why? Because ever since the first relapse, right, in my mind, I wanted to end my life. I wanted to, you know, mm. to kill myself. But I didn't have the guts to do it. Mm. So in my mind, that I said, okay, what's the best way to die? <laughs> Getting high die. Right. And when that happened, right. I know that I didn't want to die. I cannot explain this in words. Oh, interesting, yeah. It's, it's just an experience where I find out that actually I don't want to die. <laughs> <laughs> when you came so close yeah, to actually yeah. to actually losing your life is yeah. when you realize actually, no, I, I'd rather be alive. Yeah. Right. And another 50%, it's because I was in government hospital, right? Okay. I didn't want to get caught again, you know. <laughs> okay. And I told the doctor, if you ask me now, at 50-50, like I would say, and I told the doctor that I'm going back to rehab. Okay. And this is where I started to think about recovery again. Yeah. You've gone through at this point in your story, you've dealt with a relapse, you've suffered through an overdose, dealing with the fallout of an of an overdose as well, but deciding now that you want to recover again for real, you wanted to make the effort. So, where do you go from there? I wanted to go back to ADK actually. Okay. Because uh, I had a very good experience in ADK. Mhm. Before leaving, they offered me actually a position as PRS. Oh. So PRS is Bangaro Rakan Sabaya. So being in that rock bottom, right, I had nowhere else to go. Mm. I don't know what to do anymore. Mm-hmm. I thought of, you know, why not just stay there and work there. After the ambulance, the doctor discharged me and I went back home. I went through a v- crash before crashing. Mm. When I say crash, means I didn't sleep and eat properly for, I think, a week. So right after the substance stopped, this is where I crashed. But before crashing, I remember telling my family members mm. that I'm going back to rehab. Mm. And then I went and crashed for three days. Right. So I slept for two days, wake up, eat a little bit, sleep. And then the third day is where I supposed to go back to rehab. Okay. Of course, that didn't happen in oh, my no. mind. Yeah. I said, okay, I'm okay already. Oh, because you went through the three days. Yes. Right, right. Okay, now I know that I want recovery, Mm. but I've already been in rehab. Why not I bring the rehab, whatever I learned in the rehab, outside? So, I wanted to tell my sister, but before I could tell, Mm. she already said that I found you a rehab. (laughs) (laughs) It's like she read your mind. (laughs) Before you say anything, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. Is it? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, back then, I said, no, 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 I'm going back to ADK, but, at the back of my head, I mm. got a little bit of reservation that I still can don't go to rehab. Okay. You know, but when I saw the the link that she sent, I got how do I say I got touched up, touched and motivated because right. she found me a private rehab. To me, it's luxury rehab, mm. and I said that man, I don't deserve this. And I tell myself, what if mm. when I go out from the rehab mm. and I still use. That that's even more guilt, is it? <laughs> yeah, because even then more guilt. and now you f- you would feel like maybe you owed them something yeah, more because yeah, had- it was a overwhelming feeling. Mm. And my sister, elder sister, because I have two sisters, one elder, one younger. Mm. So the elder sister, because she loves me a lot, mm. so I could 
manipulate her emotions, you know. I right. could say no and stuff like that. Mm. And she said that if you don't go, we already paid. There's no refund, <laughs> right? But I still right. didn't want to go. I said that okay, let me talk to the boss. I get you your refund. And what made me go to this rehab is mm. my younger sister said to me, mm. "Can you please stop hurting my parents?" And this wow. changed my mindset, you know, because I come from a very traditional family, mm. so it's like the respect, the older generation, and my younger sister. Don't have the respect for me anymore, mm. and this is where I got emotional, and I was thinking that this is it. I can't do this to people around me. My first intention was back then when I was youth, I told myself that I'm not going to hurt anyone, mm. and yet here after three years, I'm hurting people, right. and this is where I say, okay, let's go. <laughs> What is the goal for you right now, and your future on the road to a better life? My goal right now is just to take one day at a time. Mm. So one day at a time is a concept where you get in a twelve steps program. Yeah, I don't know about tomorrow. Mm. I forget about yesterday, mm. but today I'm not going to use. Right. I'll do whatever I can. I'll plan whatever I can to not use. Being here today talking to you, it's also a step that I'm taking yeah. to stay in recovery. Is it accountability? Is that? Yeah, I guess you could say that. And what taking one day at a time doesn't gives me any anxiety or stress. Right. I've been using for the past fifteen years of my life. Right. Not knowing if I think that I'm going to stay sober forever, mm. I'll get anxious. I I don't know how I can do this. Mm. You know, I couldn't live life on life terms. But taking one day at a time could lead me to where I supposed to be. And my current goals is just to right now I'm taking courses. Mm. I'm a member of uh, ISAP is Inter- International Society of Substance Use Professional. Okay, it's a group where recovery coaches, counselors, right, that are professional in addiction, hmm. joins this group for a course. And my future, maybe I would consider becoming a counselor. Is there a reason why this is the the journey that you want to want to make? It's because that. Again, back to the twelve steps. Mm. The last step is to carry this message to other addicts who still suffer. Mm. So, in helping other people, I'm also actually helping myself. I can only keep what I have by giving it away. So, this is for my recovery. That motivator that keeps me in this recovery is the, of course, my family. Mm. Mm. And right now, I'm in a relationship. She is very supportive. Wow. Uh, she motivates me from time to time also. It's not a codependency. I I'm sure of this. Right. That keeps me going. I have one question for you, which is you're in a unique position to be able to answer. For those of us who may have someone that we care about, that may find themselves in the same situation you were in back when you were struggling through uh, your addiction and substance abuse, what, in your opinion, would be the best way for us to approach this person to help them? The first step, I think that. Early intervention would be mm. would be would be good. It's hard to love an addict mm. because an addict don't love themselves. Mm. They might be selfish, but they don't love themselves. So it's hard to put love and care in this intervention. I'm reminding myself though, if I could do it in a loving and caring way, mm. and maybe the chances of people getting in recovery is possible. Right. Th- thank you for. Making that plain for us. If 
anyone wanted okay. to reach out to Solus Asia and get their services or use their services, how would they be able to do that? You can go to this website, Solus, S-O-L-A-C-E, Asia, one word, A-S-I-A, dot O-R-G. Okay, solusasia.org. Yep. Right, that's the website and you can check that out. Again, Andy, you want to say thank you so much. Yep. Thank you. Thank you to your sisters and to your family as well yeah. for making this happen because yeah. you're here with us today yeah. to be able to share your yeah. story and help other people. Yeah. Thank you again, Andy, you. for joining thank us today. You. Thank you. That's Andy Chua, former drug addict who turned his life around and is now a recovery support coach. You can listen to that whole interview again on the Light Breakfast podcast on the Shock app. You've been listening to a Light FM podcast on Shock. That's S Y O K.